Hey everyone, welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. I'm Ryan Williams. This is a podcast in which I talk to makers, creators, and entrepreneurs launching the next big things in media. Excited you're here for episode number 38. My guest is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Before we get started into the show, I want to remind everyone, I'm excited to say I have a free How to Launch Your Podcast guidebook. It's a tip sheet for launching and marketing your podcast. So please email me, ryan at influencereconomy.com, if you'd like the free guidebook. It's a playbook for how to make content around your podcast, market it, book guests, and a quick tip sheet for starting a show. It's the guidebook I wish I had back in the day when I started my podcast. And feel free to reach out to me, ryan at influencereconomy.com, or hit me up at Ryan J. Will on Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe and would love it if you left a review. Uh, Jordan was an awesome guest. He's built a media empire around the Art of Charm podcast, as well as boot camps and educational series for helping men become better at being men. And he's built this media empire around content, which I love talking about. So without further ado, Jordan Harbinger. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. Excited for my guest this week, Jordan Harbinger of The Art of Charm, which is a podcast doing about three episodes a week now. He's a very much an old school podcaster. He's also uh, built an amazing company, does a, a lot with guys, helping them get confidence with the opposite sex, with uh, business relationships and networking. So want to have him on. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. How, how are things going? Good, busy as usual, but that's a good thing usually. Yeah, it's good. Good to have you on live. Are you uh, Are you doing three episodes a week now for the podcast? Yes, but I'm gonna actually redact. I don't know. Redact is probably not the right word. I'm gonna scale down to two. Two two episodes. Yeah, yeah. There's people are having trouble keeping up because of the long format. So I'm gonna do that, and then I'll probably do something shorter on Fridays. And also, you know, it's. It's not necessary for me to do three episodes. It was great for growth and stuff like that, but um, now that we're kind of a fixture in the top 100 slash top 50, I don't think three a week is necessary to edge out quote-unquote competition. I used to do it in part because if you do enough media, people won't look elsewhere for entertainment or media. But I think I over I jumped over the sweet spot for that, especially with a back catalog of over 350 episodes. So people who want more Art of Charm, they can go backwards, and people who can't keep up don't have to worry about getting lost, you know, get, losing the conversational flow by skipping a couple. Totally. I actually, so I've been doing this a, a little, uh, almost a year. I started uh, a year ago, February. And what I've noticed is my listener base is still growing, but a lot of people that do like the show binge. And like your podcasts are very much like evergreen where you go back in time and they're not necessarily time stamped with who won the Super Bowl or who won the election. Exactly. Yeah, you know? I'm very careful about that, actually. And so you've had guests like Seth Godin, which I thought was a really good episode. Like, How would you define what your content is? Because it seems like you're able to, to brand yourself in a way that you can make a conversation about networking with someone who's made online courses no different than Adam Grant, who's a professor and writer about business. How do you brand your guests? Like, how do you, what's the criteria for getting people on your show? Because you have such, you have like Navy SEALs that have come on and, you know, you have a military angle and you have people that are helping you, like, you know, the listeners learn how to network. Like, how do you actually come up with the guests that you, you have on the show? And like, generally speaking, like how, how wide do you cast your net? 
Yeah, I mean, basically the rule is if I'm interested in it, I assume my audience will be interested in it. And some people aren't, you know, but um, I've done episodes where I'm like, hey, I'm, I just went to North Korea. And it's funny because those will get a massive response. And there's like one turd out of, you know, hundreds that is like, stay on topic. I don't listen to hear about your travels. And I'm like, this person's obviously just kind of never going to be a real customer of the brand. So I don't worry about it. Um, because I know that somebody who's not interested in that is never going to really invest in themselves. Somebody who gets offended and has sort of an entitlement complex is never going to be somebody that I want even really interacting with my brand. Um, it's cool that they up our download numbers for ad revenue purposes, but there's not thousands of them. There's probably a few hundred, and I'm just I, I'm just as fine with it if they never interact with us again. So I really, it's kind of funny because a lot of marketers and advertisers ask me things like, Wow, you know your brand has grown so quickly. Your audience is massive, especially when compared to other podcasts. How do you figure out who to have on the show? And literally, it is no more complicated. And I'm not just saying this to like hide the secret sauce. It's no more complicated than me going, "Oh, that would be cool. I'd totally talk to that guy in real life with no microphones." Uh, and if I if that meets the criteria, I'm in. And if there's somebody where I'm like. Yeah, you know, I could do that. It would be good for my brand, but I just, I don't know. I don't do it. I just won't do it. And then there's other conversations that are easier decisions like, oh, that sounds sleazy or boring or, or kind of, you know, doesn't really fit anything I'd be interested in. And usually during the pre-interview, if I find myself checking my email, I'm just like, oh, this isn't going to be a fit. Right. I mean, I can't even pay attention to his pitch. I'm certainly right. not going to have an hour-long conversation with him. So and it's people can easy. like smell the BS detector if you're not interested. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, some of my older episodes from like six plus years ago, they're like, man, we could totally tell you're just humoring this guy. And I'll get feedback from a new listener. It's like, I went through your whole back catalog, and man, you clearly disagreed with everything this guy was saying. And it's like, I just don't need to have those people on the show anymore. I mean, why would I have somebody on that I disagree with unless it's going to be some really interesting disagreement? Like maybe I've got... Yeah, some kind of crazy political leader on the show talking about, I mean, yeah, if Raul Castro wants to come on Utter Charm, I'll have a conversation, even though I disagree with a lot of things that he says. Kim Jong-un wants an interview, I'm down, right? But, yeah. like, somebody who's just going to come on and say misogynistic BS or, like, overly comedians who want to come on and do shock value baloney, I I'm not interested. I don't care. And so I figure that my audience, being the intelligent mass that they are, are also going to be like, eh, not your best work. And I don't need that. You know, I've got a waiting list of guests 70 deep. That's enough for almost a whole year. I'm not really scraping trying to figure out who I can get on the show. I was five years ago, but now I, I don't care. You go back to your catalog and it, I think it's go back to 08. Is that your first episode? 06. 06. I mean, incredible how much iTunes has changed since then. And especially the last year, with you know the every, the whole media narrative around podcasting and you know I think every week I just see so many new podcasts pop out in business. Like, what was the impetus back then to start the show? Well, essentially, I started off on on Wall Street as an attorney, and I had this quote unquote mentor named Dave, uh, and he was not a mentor. Basically, what that means on Wall Street is just that. Uh, your HR department or whatever decides that you you need to have somebody who makes sure that you're kind of adequately entertained career-wise so that you sign on. 
And it's, it's, so he, it's merely a formality. It's a formality, yeah. And so what happened was this guy Dave was never around. He was never there. And one day I went up to my office at 1 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday to like show off to some chick or something like that, whatever, who, who knows. And I saw everyone in the office, and I was like, oh, my God, i got to get the hell out of here before somebody asked me to do some work. So I ran out of there, and the next Monday I was like, I, I contacted a senior associate that I was cool with, and I was like, hey, man, what's the deal here? How come everybody was in the office? Like, that's, that scares me. Is there a deal going on? And he's like, no, we're always there. Everybody says he makes more money than everyone else. How is that even possible? So HR eventually made Dave take me out for coffee, and I said, not caring about the job because I figured it was going to be terrible, I asked, what's the deal? And he was like, well, I don't need to bill hours. And I, I thought, wait a minute, this is making no sense to me because as attorneys, the whole point is that we bill hours. And that's what we do. I mean, that's, that's how the firm makes money. And so if you don't need to bill hours, how are you generating positive revenue for the firm, let alone enough to justify the fact that you're one of the highest paid partners, aside from like the managing partner. And he's like, oh, well, I don't get a billable hour bonus because I don't care. I bring in business for the firm and those bonuses are actually higher. And I'm, you know, listening to a guy from Brooklyn with a tan, I knew that there was, he knew something that I didn't. So I essentially started to dig in a little bit and found that he didn't worry about his billable hours because he was bringing in new business. The new business bonus was higher than the billable hours. And in order to bring in new business, his time, think about it like this. If you're a lawyer and you bill out $600, $800 an hour as a partner, maybe even more, and you've got another partner who brings in a seven-figure deal a couple of times a year, and you break down what they're worth per hour revenue-wise to the firm, the guy who brings in the seven-figure deal is worth thousands of dollars per hour in terms of like time spent hanging out with investment bankers and other people and sort of like deal-making. And in rainmaking is what we actually call it on, on Wall Street, in, in the, especially in the law game. And what year, what year was this? 2006, 2007. So this before the market went down. And went tanked, tanked, yeah. Yeah, and I'll get to that in a second too. So he was bringing in these deals because it actually was more profitable for the firm to like pay him to go on an all-expenses-paid cruise with a potential client than it was to have him sitting in the office till 1 a.m. So meanwhile, we're all schmucks hanging out in the office, and he's like on a golf course with an investment banker. He's doing jujitsu, hanging out with some potential clients, and we're in the office, you know, at 1 a.m. on a Saturday while he's probably home either asleep or hanging out at a bar with some potential clients and entertaining them. And that was his whole that was his whole job, you know. And what a life! He, it was awesome. I'm sure it was awesome because he knew what he was doing, and it was probably second nature for him to do that. So he was ever there. And then when the market eventually tanked, as you just alluded to, what happened was. He went to another law firm and basically signed on as a partner, and it wouldn't surprise me if he got a raise because he just took his whole book of business and walked into another firm literally right up Broadway in Manhattan, and all of the other partners, especially the ones I'd saw seen there working 1 o'clock in the morning, blah, 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 on a Saturday, they were basically forced into early retirement. And if they weren't, they probably started off as non-partners at some other firm, like some sort of lame senior counsel seat that basically is a pigeonhole for, you know, dead end for your career, but still has a decent salary. Right. <laughs> so, so essentially he had a big book of business that he could take anywhere. Yeah. And so he had job security. He didn't have to go to the office as much and he got paid more than everyone else. So I'm still to this day looking for a downside to yeah. him because of course, at worst case scenario, he can bill $800 an hour working on someone else's deal. It sounds like an amazing life. Like he's built his lifestyle into his work. 
where he's a gregarious guy that gets along with people, likes to yeah, to which network. is great. Which is great if you're a lawyer because either way, you're dedicated. You're married to that firm. You're making right. that money professionally. Like you're working twenty hours a day. The choice is, do you want to do it on a houseboat or a yacht? Uh, or a bar or an outdoor right. restaurant or at a charity event or do you want to do it in an air-conditioned office in the middle of July while everyone you know is hanging out because it's a holiday and you're in the office checking for commas in a document and revising a draft motion for Monday. Uh, that sounds like murder. It is. And that's why lawyers have one of the highest rate of, rate of depression of any profession. Yeah. I mean, it's like up there with dentists, which I still don't really get why those people hate life so much. But it's lawyers are definitely Wait, Dentists make like super, a lot of bank and they spend about... My dentist walks in for seven minutes tops and looks at my teeth and they, a hygienist comes in and cleans them and yeah. sends me on my way. They're going to find out that like those stupid drills emit something that makes people want to kill themselves. I really have no idea. But lawyers legitimately are overworked. And at some point, I mean, we know that money doesn't buy happiness, right? So like at a certain part, there's diminishing returns. So these guys will work for a ton of money, but it doesn't improve the situation. I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if Dave was a pretty happy dude. I feel because like a lot of people that I'm friends with that are lawyers, they do it. They go to law school and they go in extreme debt. And so they come out and they're in the hole. So they have to work two, three, four, or five years to get themselves out. By the time they actually get out, they realize that they haven't enjoyed themselves in years, especially living in New York. And so these friends move back to wherever they're from or to a more low-key city because they're just such burnout. You know? How, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how you could be a partner at a law firm and actually like have some sort of life. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how it goes. The, there's no way to separate work life. So most people, what they do is they just decide to work harder than the next guy, which is awesome if you have no life and you're willing to sacrifice everything. But the problem is, is it's a race to the bottom. Oh, you can work 16 hours a day? I can work 20 hours a day. Yeah. And so I knew that I wasn't going to be that guy because I didn't like it. I never really was interested in it. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to make it to the top. I'm already a bad employee. And then I saw what Dave was doing, and I was like, wait a minute. I can learn this, and if I start now, I'm going to be really good at it by the time everybody's sort of like gunning for partner, and I'll have a better shot at it if I'm like, look at all these clients I brought in, and everyone else is like, look how many hours I build. You know what I'm saying? Like, and they're so getting... Like, and, and, and gunning is the right word. I mean, oh, yeah. everyone is like aggressively, like, they go to bed thinking about how to become partner. Yes, I mean, absolutely. You have to live and breathe and like really like take that role like you're going to bulldog your way to the top. Yeah, I mean, for me, what's really cool is you basically you, you basically get to, at that level, so my plan was that I was going to get recruited as a partner by having a book of business, and those guys were going to have to compete for partner what by... Was the, what was the guy's name who mentored you? Dave. So this is, this is the Dave model. Right, because they were like, I mean, when the economy went down, he walked, I'm sure he shopped his book around... And by shopping around, I'm sure he just like went to the racquetball club or the squash court and was like, yeah, my firm's not doing so well. And they're like, dude, come work for us, yeah. man. Are you kidding me? We'll take your seven-figure deals. Like he's at the Rye Country Club. Yeah. The, the, Greenwich, the Greenwich tennis courts. and Yeah. And, they're, and then he's like, cool, all right. And they're like, yeah, stop by tomorrow after our $300 lunch and we'll get you a deal memo signed. Just like classic example of like the good old boy network. and Oh, 100%. And here's the thing. A lot of people complain about that like oh it's all about who you know but here's the best part right it's all about who you know so you don't have to be the highest technically skilled you don't have to sell your soul and work 20 hours a day you can build a network and it doesn't mean you're not adding any value because you just have some nepotistic promotional connections 
it's your value is that you built a network. So instead of burning the midnight oil, checking for commas and documents and revising a deal memo, you were out making a connection because people are your hours, your, your man hours are replaceable by anybody with even a remotely similar level of technical skill. Your network is not replaceable in any short amount of time by pretty much anyone. Right. Because it's very unique to you. So you can build, and what we know from Econ 101 is that unique skill sets are comp compensated high, higher. And your network Sorry, is, little... is uh, cultivating that group is a skill set that you exactly. just can't buy. Which is, the, which is also something you can't buy or learn in school. And even if you're like the most, like you go to the best high school, the best college, and you're in the richest family, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a good network. Yeah, exactly. And even if, you, even if it did, even if the prep school network and your parents are well-connected, if you're intentional about the networking process, you can build a better, more active network than somebody who was born into it. Yeah, maybe you can't compete with Paris Hilton, but you can certainly compete with the girl whose dad was a federal judge and blah, 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 because she's going, Daddy, can you introduce me to so-and-so? And, -so? and he's, he's got his network, and it's for him. And yeah, he'll probably introduce her, but they're, then she's just the daughter of a guy that they know. So I, but I, if, Actually, dude, I live in California right now in Los Angeles, and I went to college in Nashville, Tennessee at Vanderbilt. You know, very old school Southern uh, mentality. People that graduate, they go to law school, business school, med school. So most of my friend group from college can't even relate to what I do for my job. They're like, want results. So they think everything's monetary. They think everything's transactional. And so I told them about this podcast and like we got number, I was number three business uh, over the holidays and I was so fired up and they need some metric like that. They just don't know about the process of building relationships and networks because their end game is money or some established power. And that's how they've been trained. And, and so in California, I've had to you know, reinvent most of my friend group because the Vanderbilt network does very little for me out here. Because it's all old school East Coast stuff. East Coast, Southern, New England, people that you know are from Mobile, Alabama or Greenwich, Connecticut, and they already have a baked in job when they graduate because they're going to take over their dad's insurance company or... They're going to go to med school and work as an ER doctor. And so they only understand, like, if I have a big name on the podcast, it, it, that's the only contextual relevancy that it has. And so really, you know, people, maybe if you go to Stanford, it helps if you're an entrepreneur. But in general, college is becoming less and less relevant when it comes to actually defining what career you want to have. Yeah, I mean, it, it totally makes sense. And they've got sort of that nepotistic connection or whatever. But the joke is, right? You hear this all the time, or maybe you don't. There's some advisors and senior board members and stuff like that that are kind of like, if that person's incompetent or can't do the job, they're kind of doing it for them. Right. And Or they are getting pushed out as soon as dad kicks the bucket and his board seat is evaporated. It's like, hey, Junior, I know you thought it was fun playing CEO for a while, but everyone hates you and you're out, and we're going to buy you out and pretty much force a buyout at an appropriate price and you're just going to go play in your sandbox. You're going to get paid to do nothing. Yeah. yeah. And just, just not don't, be here. Yeah, just please don't get in our way. Yeah. And that's fine. A lot of people don't care. They're like, oh, I got money. What a good deal. But really, you know, you're, you're really just you're They're medicating you so that you get the hell out of their way. That's not really a good value add. And that's, that's how it goes if you're lucky. If or, you're not lucky, they try to push you out and then you, you're just out of luck and you're the failure of the family who lost the business. Where did you grow up? Detroit. Okay. And did you go to college in Michigan? I did. I went to Michigan. And then where'd you go to law school? Michigan. Oh, you're like, what do they call it? Like double Wolverine or? Yeah, maybe. I'm like the worst one though, because I don't watch any of the sports and I don't care at all. You're not about psyched about Jim Harbaugh coming? Yeah. Like, I don't even know who that is. <laughs> so.
And so, so uh, yeah, take us back to the to law school experience then, because it just sounds like in general, like a lot of people that I've come across that are in what we do, which is a very hard thing to define, like, you know, you're a podcaster, but you also have this big brand you've built, is that they were somehow uh, pissed off or frustrated or just not really interested in the status quo of what the path that you're supposed to take is. And this is like a great way to take your life and your career really into your hands and it's high risk and high reward. So just take us back to like when you, you know, you, you saw this guy and you felt like, you know, your book of business, like, cause you're obviously good at networking. And was that the impetus to start the podcast? No. Um, the fact is I wasn't good at networking. That was the impetus to start the podcast. So I started going out by myself and hanging out cause I burned the ships and I was like, listen, I don't want to hang out with the same group of people and, and they're not going really anywhere that I want to be going. So I know that if I keep hanging out with my normal circle of friends, then I'm not going to grow because what's going to happen is I'm, I'm literally just going to be in my comfort zone. So I started going out alone and hanging out and learning like everything, reading tons of stuff, taking Dale Carnegie classes, all that stuff, trying to apply it. Because a lot of that stuff that you learn in books is frankly not really true. They just kind of think like this sounds really good and theoretically it would work and not everything in every book, but a lot of the eBooks and a lot of like the great first impressions type stuff. It, it's, it's just not nuanced enough. Like Dale Carnegie would have you think that if you look somebody in the eye and say your name slowly, when you shake their hand, that they're going to be your best friend if you show interest in them. But the truth of the matter is you're probably showing up really weird to people in ways that nothing but coaching will correct coaching and practice. So like you can go to a Dale Carnegie class. How come people that come out of that class after eight weeks or 10 weeks or whatever aren't super charismatic? And the reason is because they don't get nuanced. They just teach you how to publicly speak so you go back to your boss and you look a little bit more like you have yourself together. But they're not really going to create radical life change. So for me, I knew I had to go out and try and fail and figure out what the F was going on with myself and figure out how to make these connections. And then I ran into my now business partner, AJ, and he was really good with women and dating and stuff like that, relationships. So I thought, this is really cool. I can learn a lot from this guy. And he was like, man, you're really good at making these random connections. I want to learn that because I'm a cancer biologist. And... I need to figure this out because I'm kind of getting shafted in the lab here with all the other brown nosers, and I just don't know how this whole system works. So we started to talk and share information. We started to teach other people who would see us out and about, wondering why we never paid for a drink, never waited in line, always and, got and free stuff from like the chef. did it start like confidence with women? What's that? Was the initial part of it, like starting getting, helping people get confidence with women, like going out socially? That was the initial business angle because I was 24 and I was like, this is way more fun than trying to figure out the networking stuff. And I sort of <laughs> thought like, you know, if I meet enough girls, dot, 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 job prospects and right. money, whatever, who cares? It's, it's girls around, right? So we started doing that and then people were like, you need to write a book. And we had clients and people were paying for our stuff and, and it was really cool. these are single guys that just want to... Yeah, and they were like, they were like, how come every time you come in, I think one of the final straws was we walked past a massive line. It was St. Patrick's Day. We walked past a massive line of literally over 100 people that were waiting to get into this Irish pub on St. Patrick's Day, and we saw like a ton of people that we'd sort of recognized from out and about, and we were like, hey, 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 and it took us like 10 minutes to walk down the whole line and say hi to everybody, and then we got to the door, and the door guy goes, Hey, AJ and Jordan, come on in. And he, like, the guy who's collecting cover just, like, stands beside, and they open the door and they let us in. And then, of course, the people who were waiting to get in were like, what's going on? And everybody had seen that. So we were in there, and the whole night people were like, what? what do you guys own this place? Like, do you have your friends work here? 
And then it was like, no, you know, we, we just, this is how every night is. And they started to see us around and realize, like, these guys never do anything. And we were starting to get treated like royalty around. Granted, it was just Ann Arbor. It was no big deal. But, you know, that was the the kickoff for a lot of guys paying us to teach them this stuff. And they're like, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. You need to write a book. And I'm like, I'm studying for the bar exam. And AJ's a cancer biologist. Nobody's writing a book. <laughs> Nobody's going to write anything. It's so interesting. I mean, because... Usually when you think of dating coaches, you think of like cheesy guys that like, you know, go on MTV and they have like fake baked tans and long hair. Like, right. And and like those guys are clowns and they yeah. look and dress like no clowns. No one takes them seriously and they just want to like, they think they're like Jersey Shore stereotypes. Jersey Shore rejects. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so the reason that this was so good for us is because we were like, wait a minute, we're not doing any of this stuff. And it's not really about women. It's more like about you. So we were coaching guys, and it wasn't just like, go up and say this. It was like, hey, man, this is how you're showing up to people. There's a lot of nonverbal stuff going on here. Your mindsets are weird, so they're making you do stupid, weird stuff that's, like, needy and awkward. So we, we started correcting that, and guys were like, yo, you're onto something here. So we kept doing that, and people kept saying, write a book, write a blog, write a book, whatever. And AJ, he's a super tech guy, so he was like, hey, there's this new thing, this is 2006, it's called podcasting, we should totally look into this. And I'm like, this would be rad, I love talking, uh, talking into a mic would be so fun, we can have a couple drinks while we do this, it's going to be amazing. So we, uh, we kicked that off, and we uploaded it in iTunes, and the show grew in popularity, and then we started really focusing on it like three years ago, we've been recording for eight years, and our audience has exploded you know, now we, of course, have enough microphone experience where we can create really good media. Um, and that was great because we kind of came in with a really good first mover advantage. Absolutely. Early to market. Totally. But now now that the market is hot and everybody's getting in, it's easy to separate, separate the wheat from the chaff because most people suck at broadcasting. You yeah. can fake blogging by hiring a writer. Absolutely. But you can't fake personality on a podcast because unless you hire an actor and professional broadcaster to do it for you and even then it's not going to build your personal brand it's going to build that guy's personal brand right so so you really can't get in here and fart around and expect to get a really good audience really good internet marketers are doing it but they're still getting crushed by basically former hobbyists like me who I love just it can do it's it better so great I mean because people think they can just even take a tv show like mad money you know, yeah. Like I was above Mad Money just like for a moment, and I like took a screenshot, sent it to my father-in-law because he watches that damn show, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Yes, I'm beating Jim Cramer because he's yeah. just syndicating TV content." Yeah. So, so people who download it are like, "I'm not watching this on my iPhone. I don't even like watching you on CNN. You just come on because I leave it on in the office, right, or whatever channel. It's in the background." Yeah, and and so like people have to go out and actively recruit it. So a lot of these people are finding out, oh, I'm not really that popular. You know, and yeah. look at like Bill Maher has a podcast, right? And it's a lot of the extras and stuff like that. I routinely outrank him in iTunes. It's well, not now because there's I'm, a lot of TV shows that are doing or movies that are doing podcasts that just pop up and new and noteworthy. Yeah. And it's like they aren't going to do the podcast for more than like a month. And they think that's somehow a great way to market the movie. Yeah. And, and they're usually really poorly reviewed, too, which is actually kind of I hilarious. I love that. Yeah. The, I love it, too, because it's speaking. like hey, watch the movie, and everyone's like, F you, yeah. this stinks. It's just a trailer with commentary for some yuts we don't care about. So podcasting is great because it totally levels the playing field in a lot of ways. Like a big company like ESPN, sure, they can get a newscaster on there or a sportscaster. That guy will have a show that crushes it in iTunes. It'll have a massive audience. 
but somebody else can come in who's like a YouTube star and just annihilate that, that same yeah. guy. Tyler Oakley just destroys yeah. it. He's in there one day. Yeah, he was like number one in all of iTunes for like a week because yeah. he'd brought his YouTube audience over. Now, granted, the content of that is is poor in my opinion. So that's okay in, in a lot of ways. It does It does show that the ranking system is based on some things that might not be good for all podcast audiences, but there, there's a reason he has millions of fans on YouTube. That are, They're just a weird demo. Yeah, the, that's, the, the first mover point, though, is so key because I've worked in the YouTube world for years, and the people that join YouTube, like I had Freddie Wong on my podcast, and he's raised like $2 million to crowdfund his video series, Video Game High School. Cool. And he was a 2007 YouTuber. He actually did it before you could monetize videos with advertisements. And he was a first adopter. You know, there's an advantage because the pool is smaller, the competition's less. And if you make good content, like you can learn how to become better at making videos. And then in two years when it starts taking off, you have such a distinct advantage in a whole archive of content. And yeah, exactly. A lot of people, they go, oh, you get 1.2 million downloads a month. Well, what happens when your iTunes feed gets capped because they only let you put 300 entries in there? They're like, then you're going to have your back episodes off. And I'm like, I could trim the bottom 250 episodes, which is kind of what I plan on doing. And I'll still have 1.2 million downloads a month because I'm not counting the, the you know other 84,000 that is my back catalog. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's really not a big deal. In fact, I'd love to do that because then people who subscribe and listen to every old episode won't hear when I sucked at it, which is not that long ago. Right. But yeah, I've got eight years of broadcasting, essentially at a professional level, under my belt. So now when people try to interview me like this, or if even when I go on mainstream media and they try to throw you a curveball to make you look stupid, I'm like, listen, man, I've been hosting longer than you. Yeah, totally. It's, like, it's like working out at the gym, getting reps, as, uh, you know, you're, you're bench pressing and you get practice and then you go to like play in a game and you've actually like become strong. And like, I think yeah. that there's an underrated element of podcasting. Even me, if I appear on someone else's show, I know how to give a lot better answers now than I would have a year ago. And well, yeah, yeah. One of the one of the things that another another thing that's I thought would be a problem is there's so many podcasters now, and a lot of them spend a ton of time recruiting new guests, and so they'll be like, "Oh, you know, I had that guy on my show already," and I'm kind of thinking to myself, "Yeah, I'm not worried about that because my interview is going to be ten thousand times better." Yeah, totally. And I know that sounds arrogant, but but you can't think like it's like people that you meet in the technology community that have a startup idea and they make you sign an NDA or they will be keeping their cards close to them and not tell you their idea because they think you're going to steal it or tell someone, you have to believe that what you're doing is the best thing in the world and that you're, no one else can take your idea and execute it better than you. Exactly. Or you're going to fail. Yeah, exactly. Like people go, oh yeah, you introduced me to this guy. You know, I shouldn't interview him until you do. And I'm thinking, hey man, go for it. Yeah. You know, if, if you're, if I'm going out of business because you're getting the guest before me, I'm in the wrong business. Right. So it's the same thing with content, anything. I mean, all of the information, in fact, up until recently, a lot of these internet marketers were like, you're giving away too much stuff for free. People won't buy from you. And now the common knowledge among internet marketers is you can never give too many things away for free. Push the free line. Give tons of stuff away. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. I should have thought of that eight years ago. Oh, wait a minute. I did. I love that. Like, and it's not not me, but like this is what AJ and I were doing. And, and now they're like, oh, man. I, and now they're trying to catch up by manufacturing this crappy like blog post every five minutes podcast every day content. But quantity over quality is not a good way to catch up to a show that's been putting out quality for eight years. And, then, and so that, that's been a huge advantage for us. Yeah, exactly. Because 
people think that they can crowbar their way into to the medium and without experience and like with YouTube it was the same way so we, in Machinima we had like f- 4 billion views a month we were getting at our peak and brands would come in and say oh we're gonna launch our own Call of Duty channel to promote a video game because Machinima was like an ESPN for gamers on YouTube and we're like okay good luck with that like launch a YouTube channel called Call of Duty from scratch and talk to us in two years when you've actually built a base. Even though your brand is massive and your game sells like a billion dollars worth of sales, you want to have a credible audience like Machinima's endorse you and have your content on our network because building anything from scratch right now is so much harder than anyone thinks, even if you're a global brand. Yeah, that's a good point um, because you've got to create engagement. And it can be really tough. Podcasting, fortunately, another thing that we got lucky on was it is is that this is one of the most commonly I don't know what's the term here commonly or highly engaged medium or media. So people who listen to podcasts, internet marketers know this because they're the only ones who can really test it. You'll have a guy who has like an email list and he's got three hundred and fifty thousand people on it, and then he's like, oh, how many people download each episode of your show? And then a junior level or mid-level, I guess I should say, or even top tier, depending on how you score it, podcaster with like 15,000 listeners per episode, he'll crush that guy in terms of engagement. Because when people get emailed, they're like, meh. But if someone's listened to your voice for an hour each week, they love you. Dude, It's this is why I started my podcast in so many ways. Like writing a book, the influencer economy is the brand and stories about people like yourself, YouTubers, people building content networks on platforms that I think are building the next generation of media companies that are all per- personality based, you know, Chris Hartwick and Bill Simmons as well. And so you, you've got this paradigm shift. And I used to, st- you know, we, Ashton Kutcher was going to invest in one of our startups that I was Sweet. helping with. And I tracked his bitlies on social media for clicking out links and sharing content. And he had like less than half of a percent. You go to Lady Gaga, who's this global icon, less than half of a percent. But I go to these machinima gamers or, sports bloggers for Deadspin, and they would get 20% conversion on their tweets. And even though they had only 150,000 followers compared to like 10 million from Gaga, like you want, if you're a brand person, to like have the right fit in that market and get 10 of those influential people in gaming that play Minecraft. And I think only recently have people been figuring out that you don't need mass audience as much as you need a really like dedicated, good audience that has an, a, a large enough following that you can move the needle but that these mass marketed content machines really, it's a thing of the past. You know, the era of celebrity, in my opinion, is, is dead and been completely redefined. And you have celebrities in little categories and niches and segments across the world that are found on the internet. Do you agree? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's interesting. I never really looked at that. But yeah, it's true. They're, they're going by sheer number. But like things like Twitter and, and things like that are, are massively overrated. I mean, oh, yeah. massively overrated. And I hate to pick on Tim Ferriss because he's, he's a friend of mine, but like I know for a fact that somebody of his size, uh, not naming names exactly, but somebody of his size can tweet something out, and he'll he has half a million plus Twitter followers, and it'll get less than 500 clicks. Yeah, so you're talking about someone like Tim Ferriss. Yeah, someone like Tim Ferriss. <laughs> exactly. Hypothetically. Can do that. Hypothetically, and and it's not him. In fact, I bet you that's way more than somebody with an equivalent amount of Twitter in, in, followers in this universe that we live in. Like, yeah, be, okay. because because think about this: 
people who love Tim Ferriss are all he promotes primarily through like the web and da 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 da. If you have a mainstream celebrity with half a million followers, no one's clicking no that one. thing. No one. Nothing Not annoys me soul. more. I consult with startups and they tell me they have a celebrity list of advisors. And they're like, oh, I got this guy, that guy, and you know, this game show host and whatever. And you're like, no one cares about them. Like, are they even on Instagram? Yeah. And they're like, no, yeah. they just use Twitter. They're like, no. Twitter is a great way to get awareness and you need to be on it, but you just, you can't convert off it. There's, you have to no. have content that's really good and shareable. Now, a, another marketer, I don't think he'd appreciate if I shared his info, but we talk, he's a guy who's very well, very successful and he tests everything better than pretty much anyone out there. And he is super amazeballs at marketing. He has a ton of Twitter followers. And he told me, he said, listen, Twitter doesn't convert, period. I don't care what anyone says. And I was talking to a group of people and I said, yeah, Twitter doesn't convert. It doesn't convert for me. It doesn't convert for other people. It doesn't convert for so-and-so. And then this girl spoke up and said, oh, well, you guys are just doing it wrong. You guys are doing it wrong. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, Twitter converts really well for me. Maybe in sort of like smugly, like you guys should just maybe, you know, learn how to blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, wait a minute. What are you, what are you selling? Well, I sell my ebook on there. Oh, wait a minute. How many have you sold? Yeah. I sold like five last week. And I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. Okay, we're playing in different leagues here. If something sells five in a week and then you're talking to this other marketer and he sold five in an hour, it wouldn't be worth his time. Yeah, I hate, you know, I hate social media marketers. It's social. It's so it. It we know big marketers know that it doesn't convert. No, it's it's a big fallacy, but it's a cool like you know what measurement because you go oh I've got blah 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 hundred thousand Twitter followers and it's like cool. Well, so why do you bother with your email list? And the reason is because email sells and Twitter doesn't do squat, and they know that. But it's kind of cool to go to a PR person or look how many Twitter followers I have. It's just like saying. Yo, look how many people looked at my website this month. Who cares? How many so emails what? do you have? How many? How long do they stay on the site? You know? Yeah. Like there's engagement yeah. metrics and there's vanity metrics. Yeah, exactly. It's a vanity metric. That's the word I was looking for. It's a vanity metric. Nobody cares. Even when you're looking at people that have multiple six-figure Twitter following, it is complete rubbish in terms of conversion. On the other hand, you can look at somebody who has a podcast following that is 10% of that size, and it'll be 10 times the amount of conversion. And the reason is because the listeners are much more engaged. It's now known widely, it's a trend among internet marketers that podcasting is even better than email. And it's the only thing that's been discovered so far that converts better. Right, totally. I, the only metrics I care about for my show are iTunes subscribers and emails. Everything else, like Facebook's useless, Twitter, I, I do, I use it of course to connect with my guests. Um, but email and iTunes subscriptions are really like the, I think the most important metrics. What do, what do you they think? are. Yes, I agree with you. Subscribers, yes. I would actually, I would modify and say downloads per episode yep. because you can get subscribers, but if they don't continue to download the show, it means there there's an attrition rate that you have to deal with. Right. Downloads per episode is the only way to actually measure growth. So, I, I actually have access to a lot of stats for certain shows. Obviously can't throw that out there. You're completely. like a man of mystery with all these uh, I know. anonymous sources. Well, the thing is, what, what if you help other people because they're asking you, right. you can ask them for proprietary information on the condition that you're not going to blab about it on Ryan Williams' podcast. Right. Right. So, so I obviously will honor that. But I will say what the data says is there's a lot of shows that are marketed very heavy that people think have a crap load of listeners. 
but they actually haven't grown at all in basically like a year. Reason being, they might have 10,000 new subscribers a month, but at the same time, 9,000, 10,000 people stop listening every month because it's the same crap and they're sick of it. Yeah, actually that segues into a question. So how are you able to convert your audience? Because you, you do these boot camps and you do events and you consult with people, like helping guys get more confidence. Like how were you able to bring the podcast to the next stage where like the boot camps came to be? And aren't they down here in Hollywood? And uh, Yeah, they are. And so how do those work? So how, do, how does the actual school work? Yeah, how does the school work? And like how, I'm just fascinated by how the podcast plays into all this because you're giving out, again, free content, but you're rethinking the education process because guys can't get this content really in school or in anywhere other than someone on the internet like yourself targeting them specifically. So this right, exactly. the media enterprise you're building is really interesting because it's like this hybrid of free content on a podcast that anyone can access, but also more in-depth like consultations and coaching. Yeah, so essentially what we're doing, we run a residential program in Hollywood. It's got guys from all over the world. So right now there's a couple guys from Europe, a couple guys from Asia, a couple guys from the U.S. and Canada, and an Australian. There's actually nobody from California, which is pretty usual. And they fly in, they stay in residence, we teach them everything from like nonverbal communication, sit, stand, walk, talk, the way you show up to other people, interactions, we videotape them interacting with people, we tweak that, uh, we show them how to develop networking connections, relationship management, all that type of thing. So a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of military special forces, a lot of intelligence agents, college kids, single dudes, et cetera, et cetera. And the way that people find out is primarily through the podcast. You know, the podcast is what sells it, it's what markets it. And of course, we have the website and everything. But the, the the thing is, I don't have to get on the phone and go, "You need this. If you don't, if you don't buy this, you're never gonna reproduce." I don't need to do that because <laughs> they listen to the show. So most people call and say, "I want this. How much is it? Where can I? When's the next available slot?" That's a good problem to have because then you're just qualifying people. You're not trying to convince them to buy anything. So in that way, it's kind of like a Tesla, where it's like, oh. You want an electric car? I will sell you one. Here it is. You have one option for the most part. People already want it. They just have to figure out if they can afford it. And then you say, cool, there's financing. And then if they don't buy it, it's because they either couldn't make that work or they, for some reason, weren't committed to the idea. Except for this Tesla changes your life forever and the other Tesla is a car. That's, I mean, if you can ever compare yourself to a Tesla, that's a really good uh, way to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I literally came up with that on the spot, but I think it's quite accurate because... Frankly, you can't get this training anywhere else, at least not by professionals. You can get it in you know, the, the multitude of hacks that have cropped up since they found out this is a really viable business model. But we've got the best people in the world teaching this stuff. So you They're bring in compensated outside, you're saying you bring like outside military people and, to help train and other, other... There are students, actually. Oh, there are students, okay. Yeah, there's students. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of our trainers are therapists. We have people that have been doing this for years working here. We have a couple of other guys that are you know, contractors and things like that. But yeah, we, we, we take a lot of training from other places as well, which is great because of course you get a bunch of law enforcement guys and they're like, man, you know, you need to go take this class that's only open to law enforcement guys and repurpose this stuff. And it's like, great, get me into that. Yeah. So we can take some pretty cool training that's not normally available to civilians, which is really cool. And then of course we take all of the awesome stuff take it out, put it in the Art of Charm program, make it fun, make sure you retain it better by using modern teaching methods, 
and then the 68-year-old cop that was teaching that class, who has tons of experience, not trying to discount that, but that stuff's played out and very 80s. We just modernize it and make it less about maybe dealing with informants and more about dealing with relationships and people in your life. And so we get a really cool roster of guys in here that's come from all over the world to learn about what we do. So this is, we're trying to make education cool. We're trying to make it functional and make sure that people can use it in a very applicable way. It's nothing theoretical. And education Everything is, is practical. Like, it's not a negative connotation, but it's not, it's not like, awesome. You're not like, wow, I want to get educated. No. You know, you have to make it accessible and interesting to make people actually want to participate. Mm-hmm. I would say so. And so you guys are doing that in a way. So what's, uh, how big are the groups of people that come in? We cap it at seven. Oh, wow. It's usually six, but uh, we, tr- we have like the jump seat for the seventh guy because a lot of times military guys, they find out about leave not far enough in advance to book a normal slot. So we'll, we'll give them a little bit of a break or we'll funnel somebody into a, a certain program. So yeah, they're really small and we've got five plus instructors. But the reason is because even though it's a 60-hour program, we've got a lot of work to do in 60 hours. There's a few months of prep. There's several months of follow-up after the program. But during those 60 hours, I've pretty much got to unpack, our coaching team anyway, pretty much has to unpack everything that's screwing you up and try to give you tools to fix it. And just the unpacking part takes the whole week. You know, the tools we can give you throughout the week, but the unpacking alone takes at least that long. So you're like helping to deconstruct people's habits? Exactly. It's all about mindsets, yeah. Not, not, there's tactics that you can lay on top, but really nothing is done Nothing is permanent until we correct the mindset. So, for example, if I am talking with you and you're, you've got your shoulders scrunched up and you're leaning in a little bit too much, and this is a really like basic, basic example, it's not, oh, this person is standing funny. It's, oh, you want me to like you. This is how I know. Here's the physical symptoms, but the real cause is a mindset that, of neediness. What causes the mindset of neediness? Well, I don't know. Let's unpack some crap that happened in third grade. You know, and it's not therapy per se, but it's like, you need to be aware of that. We can bring awareness to that. And then we can start to figure out how to work around it while you fix the mindset issue. And we can give you plenty of tools for that. Uh, so whereas therapists might talk to you for three years about your problems, we actually put you into a solution environment. But that doesn't mean you don't need the other stuff too. It just means that that's not what we do at AOC. Are there like uh, real life applications where you go out and try yes. to like people pitch we, businesses or they go to like uh, bars? Yeah, and- absolutely. We go out during the day, during nighttime, we videotape certain interactions. We simulate a lot of stuff. There's a lot of role play, but at the end of the day, we throw you into high pressure situations and then we, we coach your reactions in real time. It's pretty awesome. It sounds cool. So how many people have you, like I imagine the rewards are like six months later, some guy hits you up like, hey, I got a raise or a new job or. Yeah, and know. it usually doesn't even take that long. Yeah. There's tons of stories like that where a guy's like, hey, I quit my job, started my own company. That's cool. Because now I have confidence in myself enough to do that. Another guy took a year, but he lost 100 pounds, and he started his own company, and now he gets paid about three times what he was getting paid before, except he travels around the world and takes four months off a year. That's awesome. So it's like, we get that. Other guys get married um, because they finally are able to like really create that lifestyle that they wanted. Uh, other guys will write in and go, hey, I just got promoted three times in one quarter because I'm the only person in the office who can deal with our most difficult clients, which just happen to be the ones that provide, provide like 90% of our revenue or whatever. Right. And so my boss knows that if I leave, he's SOL. So he just keeps throwing money at me it to get me to stay. to that Wall Street guy. 
it does, right? It's so it's so funny. And so we have tons of success stories like that. And we even have success stories that can't necessarily talk about that we even get scant details on where guys work for XYZ agency and they're like, just FYI, this drill saved uh, some lives today. Can't tell you much more till right. we drink a whiskey one time because it's an email. And it's like, but, you know, you'd be surprised at where this stuff applies. And you get that and you're like, this is really cool. And is this your main income? Oh yeah, this is. There's a full, whole team here. Everyone's full time. I wish I was only full time. Yeah. So you've how big is your company? We have twelve employees approximately, and they're distributed. But we also have an office in San Francisco and one in LA. And is that mostly people working on this the boot camp? We have yeah, we have people working on the boot camp. Of course, we have a bajillion different vendors, but I don't count them. And then we've got like the production people for the show myself we've got the the intake people for the programs we've got the coaches for the programs and then you have back office stuff like accounting and legal and you know program coordination folks and stuff like that so yeah there's there's a lot of people people don't really get it a lot of folks think it's just like i hang out i do a show and then i go teach a boot camp and then i go to sleep it's like nope that's that's not how it works that this is a full-time slash more than full-time job for a whole team of people and we are understaffed and when you do the boot camps, do you have other events that are smaller? Like No. No, that's it? No, and a lot of, like, quote, air quotes, business experts are all like, oh, well, you know, you're missing a revenue opportunity. And it's like, cool, not really. I'd rather have six guys, seven guys every week coming into the program, doing the whole thing. I don't need to mess around with somebody who's like, I'm not really committed, but I'd like to dip my toes in the water at the expense of your customer service and the opportunity cost. What do you have for $97 that can waste a lot of your time on a non-revenue so producing it's, it's client? Like, I want, you want someone to pay like four figures, commit, like they're not going to screw around and just show up and half-ass it. Exactly. Because people who are committed, they provide great success stories. Yep. I don't need 7 million people who are like, I spent three hours at the Art of Charm and I was not impressed. I don't care. Go away. And how many if you don't, do you do a year? We do them every single week. Oh, no way. Except for like Christmas and stuff. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, there's like 50. How often are you attending? Uh, it depends. Uh, it depends. It really depends. Dude, this is such a, a incredible like education, underrated, like under-the-radar, word-of-mouth type activity, right? Because I imagine it's referrals, and you said the podcast, that people find yeah. out about it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we have an online website. It's 67 bucks a month or whatever, but like, that's a completely different caliber of person. People who want real results realize you need to come in and get the experience. It's kind of like the difference between somebody who's like, hey, yeah, I went to medical school. I worked with XYZ Hospital for eight years. I'm going to be taking out your trachea today or whatever, surgery, your thyroid. And then another guy's like, no, 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 I, I didn't go to medical school. But trust me, I've been a member of this website for like six months, and I totally get it. You would never let that – if that person was holding a metal object, you would just run. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's completely different. And so people who buy that are not hopefully under the illusion that it's going to provide similar results. So we do have that. But we just decided, you know, we used to offer like a three-day option. And it's like, listen, if you are going to fly to L.A. for three days, but you're too cheap to buy the full experience, especially with financing, we don't. we just don't want you here. And the reason is because I don't need somebody who's only going to commit 50% when there's a waiting list of people booked we're sold out five months in advance i don't need to figure out how to pigeonhole and create something for somebody who's not going to commit when i've got a waiting list of committed guys who can't even get in before summertime and it's winter so you're just gonna do it the right way 
Just do it the right way. And you know what? If you can only afford the one option, then talk to me and we'll figure out how to spread it's, it out over I feel time. Like there's so many people that half-ass this kind of stuff. Not, oh, uh, yeah. And, and they just, they make money though. And they make a lot of it because people don't know any better. They don't know that like good shit is actually out there. Yeah, no, they don't know. And the other thing is, you know what? A lot of people would love, I get, I get this question all the time, you know, before I, before I run, I'd love to tell you uh, how this goes. Um, guys go, Oh, this looks so awesome. I really want to do it. How much is it? Uh, oh, oh, it's a few thousand bucks. Oh, um, what about your online website? And it makes me want to sit them down and go, yeah, yeah. What about our online website? So I have one product that costs a lot of money and is in residential training program, immersive over 60 hours. And I have another one that you do online, which is watching videos and being a member of a site on the web do you really want the results or are you just trying to look for shortcuts? Because obviously if you don't understand that one is massively different than the other, you don't care really about the results. You just want to find a nice way to make yourself feel better. Like you're doing something about this area of your life that you've blown it in for the last 30 years or whatever. And you know, a website's a great way to do it. Oh, do you have a book? Yeah, I've got a book, but who the hell cares? Yeah. Who cares? You're going to read my book and you're going to get it. Smart guy, right? Like after ten years of not getting it, you're going to read a book and get it. Yeah, you're going to actually finish the book or go away. Yeah, exactly. Dude, this is great. I mean, sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, no, I was just going to say, I just said, get your ass in here or go away. That's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, because I just I don't have time for people to whine about their excuses. I mean, I look at some of the guys that come through that flew in from Australia and they work for like the Australian post office. That guy's got an excuse and he made it. Oh, but I live in Arizona and I'm busy at work. Go fly a kite. I don't care. Yeah. Call me when you're sick of being in the same spot that you've been in for the last 10 years. Call me in three years and whine about how you should have done this earlier and see if I care. Yeah. You know, like you can come in then and then, you know, because the most common thing I hear from students is I wish I hadn't waited so long to sign up for this. Yeah. Oh, I, I talked to tons of people and we're going to wrap this up that do event stuff like this. And I sometimes question their sincerity. And I think they project an air of sincerity. But you're like totally all in. I mean, you're really not messing around. And that's refreshing to hear because I think a lot of people just sort of like game the system in a way and then make it all about themselves. Yeah, no, I mean, I come across as brash because I really don't want people in here who aren't committed, and I definitely don't want to hear the reason why your special snowflake story is different from the other guy who can't make it. Yeah. Because it's just a bunch of BS. In our whole lives, we basically spend fighting our own rationalizations about why we can't achieve something or do something, or like, oh, this girl won't like me, I'm too short, or like, I can't get this job because blah, blah, blah. I just don't give a crap. I don't have time. That's a loser mentality. And I just don't have time for losers. There's too many of them. Dude. And I'm in the business of creating winners and making winners better. If you're not in that pool, please don't even call me. Right. There's a bunch of other resources out there. Yeah. Dude, that's great. Well, let's end on that note. I mean, Sounds good to me. Dude, that's fantastic. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. You got it, man. Thank you. That was Jordan Harbinger of Art of Charm. Check out his website, artofcharm.com for... Info on the boot camps, on the podcasts, around the, the redefinition of education that he's created. I love talking to people like him and Paul Jarvis. And with the influencer economy, I'm, I'm actually inspired by these guys because 
they're redefining education and learning. And learning has been stigmatized as not cool. Going to classes is not cool when you're in high school. In college, it's normal for people to sleep through their classes and be hungover. But now in the age of the internet, like college doesn't matter as much. And what you do in your spare time is all that matters with creating a better life for yourself. So those guys are helping, and Jordan specifically, make men, make men more confident, make them have better decisions professionally, personally, have deeper relationships. And I find that whole intersection of online media, podcasting, and, and education extremely fascinating. I'm launching an, on, an online course with my book as well and excited about that as well as doing a, a video series around it, which I'll be filming in the next few weeks. So all of the show is really changing how I focus on the book, and it's reframing the influencer economy and the podcast book I'm working on. And For me, this is an education, and I get these guests on to talk openly and honestly about their businesses, and I hope you're learning as much as I am. So I ask questions as the creator, me, Ryan, with the influencer economy, but also as a fan, or as a, someone who respects the guests and someone who respects their business acumen. So I'm trying to create the podcast in a way that is your a do-it-yourself or like myself, you get answers. But if you're in the media or technology space, you get keener insights into how the industries uh, work. So hopefully you're getting all that. I'm babbling right now, but hey, you know what? It's the end of the show. If you're sticking with me, you may as well hear it towards the end. So excited for the next few weeks. I have Tucker Max coming on. I'm also launching a company for platform de development. So if any of you guys want to develop a platform as a podcaster, as an author, self-publishing content on the web. 